Welcome to Beyond the Pulpit with Andy Thompson. Beyond the Pulpit is a podcast that shows Andy Thompson in a different light. He talks with different guests every week about how he overcame real-life challenges all of us can relate to. If you want to support the Beyond the Pulpit podcast, head over to www.pastorandy.com podcast for more information. Welcome, welcome everybody. Tonight at 7 p.m. It is a Monday night. And we are rocking and rolling beyond beyond the pulpit. Get all excited. Go tell everybody. Let somebody know that we're on tonight. And uh, we are about to jump into it. We've been talking about so many different things for the last several weeks. Really great guests. Really great conversations. My son Manny was on here. We had a great conversation. My my sister was on here last week. We had a, a, a really great conversation, a great debate. Somebody said to me, oh, wow, man, you know, your sister really brought out the humanity in you, you know, like I'm some kind of robot or something like that. Listen, I'm about as human as it gets, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm talking square biz to you, baby, square, square biz. I'm talking love that is. And tonight I've got, you know, my man, a thousand grand is, is on here with me tonight. This guy works for me. His name is Dr. Morgan Edwards and... And we, you know, it's it's really interesting, Morgan, you know, that, that you even work for me at all. You know, you tried to quit a couple times, you know, because you had greener pastures, you know what I'm saying? And then, like, I kind of wish that I, you know, even had the wherewithal to even know to hire somebody with all your skills and abilities. And, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you know, there's a ways, a lot of ways in which we're the same. You know, we're both, you know, black men, but, you know. Yeah definitely raised around white people and with white people and white white people in us and through us and, and filling our heads with all kinds of wonderful nonsensical yeah wonderful that's, information yeah. you know what i'm saying so that's what i in, in a lot of ways we're alike you know what i'm saying i mean you know we're 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 smart you know yeah that's we're, why i've got my uh, andy Thompson oh, I'm special s- i'm saying i've got my uh, my jacket on here <laughs> i had to go. rock the finest wear there you go <laughs> got your manchester united yeah, you know, i've tell you how many times people come up to me and they're like oh my god man you and i'm always like yeah oh yeah <laughs> what yeah sorry i just like how it looks you know everybody's always they think i'm a soccer they think i'm a soccer fan like oh you're a soccer fan people come up to me like oh you're that guy where's the soccer shirts and i'm like are these soccer sh- oh yeah 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 they yeah i just i like how they look i like how they're smooth i like how they're clean i like how they're sharp Ain't nobody dope as me. I'm just so fresh and clean, but it looks good on you, Morgan. It really does. Hey, man, you know, I, I bought this in uh, high school, so mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a testament to my journey. I got w- real big, Yeah. and now I'm uh, fitting into it again, yeah. so uh, I feel I feel pretty good. Also, it feels good to be on the other side of the camera tonight. Uh, I got you. You know? Yeah. I mean, it just shows, you know, that you, your own prophetic, the fact that you, you, you prophetically bought that before you even came to work for me. The Lord knew. But come on. All right, so let's jump into this thing. So, you know, tonight I, I, I'm i really excited and, and we're getting ready to really talk some real serious stuff here. And uh, we've been talking a lot about masculinity, a lot about, about male strength, a lot about men being strong, really that battle for masculine energy and masculinity. And I, it's almost odd that this is something that we have to do today, you yeah. know, um, that in a world that was so dominated by men and has been so dominated by men. And let's be honest, the rest of the world mostly is dominated by men yeah. um, in a very negative way. And which with much of the money and resources, et cetera, really being dominated by a small percentage of men, particularly white men, 
you know, it's it's very interesting to kind of have these conversations and have these discussions in which we're kind of like, hey, great, let's let's do what we can to try to talk about masculinity and talk about manhood and kind of battle for it in some kind of way. I don't know if we feel like we have to battle it necessarily for it or fight for it, yeah. but I do think particularly within the African-American culture, um, we're just, we're, we've been robbed of it. Let's just put it that way. We really have been robbed of it. Uh, one of the other things that you and I share in common is we're both raised by our fathers. That's true. So a lot of times, you know, the conversations that we have or the perspectives that we have or even kind of how hard we are with each other. I think one of the reasons why you've, you know, survived, you know, working for me all these years is because you were raised with your father. So, sure. you, you know, you know a certain amount of tough talk, a certain amount of consistent talk. And, um, but I just think that it's a, it's a thing that we've been robbed of within, within America anyway. I know there are people are watching literally around the world, um, but the, the, the average African-American is not being raised with their father. Yeah. That's very true. Um, although I read a statistic the other day that was saying that one of the large, one of the fastest growing populations of single parenthood is is black single father. fathers, black fathers. So yeah. almost thirty percent. So yeah. you, men are are raising their children. So dudes, you go and and you know what? I, listen, I know I'm often critical of the millennial generation, but I'll tell you one thing: the millennials are very serious about their relationship with their children, especially the men are. Um, my generation, maybe not as much. Maybe we weren't. I was serious, but maybe not as much. Certainly boomers. Certainly we do, we do have a bit of a history of abandoning our children. But millennials are serious yeah. about being in their children's lives and really being close to them and really having a relationship with them. And so maybe some of these things that we're talking about today are going to be less relevant or yeah. palatable 20 years from now. And I hope so. I think, um, I think I, they will be. Yeah. I think they will be. I'm hoping. I'm, my, my trust is that, but but of course, also my trust is that the men that raise them really will be men and won't necessarily be overly influenced to be too feminine in their dealings because I think there's a lot of pressure on everyone to just kind of deal with everything in a feminine way. Yeah. And uh, But that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And in particular, you know, what we, we named tonight, you know, can a man be strong when a woman is stronger, do you think that's a good place to start tonight? Yeah, I think it's a great place to start because I've already got a question for you. Okay, let's let's jump into it. All right, so the first question I have is, can a man still maintain his masculinity if he isn't the breadwinner of a relationship? I mean, I think the whole, the whole idea of a breadwinner is such a misnomer right now anyway because the truth of the matter is that in America, almost all of the households are dual income. I grew up in a house where my father worked and my mother was at home, okay? That kind of antiquated, and I don't want to say antiquated in a shady kind of negative way, but it is. That is no longer really the norm within the American culture. Yeah. At this point right now, to just survive, you need two incomes. Just to make it, just to get ahead, you need two incomes. A big part of even what Kevin Samuels, you know, rest his soul, Part of his argument was that if you're an African American woman and you're and you're making, you know, let's say, you know, you're 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 making forty or fifty, you need a guy making forty or fifty so that the co combined you can you can save. Oh, and, yeah, you and can build off that. You can yeah. build off it's of lot, that because yeah. the idea of you just being able to do it by yourself. And so at the end of the day, you. you do need two people. So I don't know if if this question is typically saying 
the breadwinner necessarily. If the woman is the breadwinner, I think what's important is for both people to come together and figure out. And one of the things that my sister did say last week, you know, and she made some good points, but she did talk about teammates and being a good team. Yeah. You know, and I remember it reminds me of, you know, the show I used to watch when I was a kid called Batman, you know, called Batman, Batman. Mm -hmm. And it was Batman and Robin. Okay, and Batman, Batman. If you ever watched the show, I know I'm I'm really um, old school. Old I'm, school I'm, cartoons, I'm dating huh? myself right now. One a cartoon. It was a live show. It was like a real humans. Yeah, oh, real I had human. no idea. Yeah, yeah. Adam West. Okay, Batman. Okay, oh. and so most of the time they get into a fight. Batman would be handling his. Robin was always getting his butt kicked. Okay, and then in saving Robin. Somehow they would get on, they would get the jump on Batman and the show would go off with them dangling over a pit of hot lava with crocodiles with laser beams or something added, aimed at them, trying to figure out how they're going to get out of it. And it would go off the air saying, you know, this, this situation that they're in is tough. Will the Cape Crusaders be able to escape this dastardly? I feel tune like I remember in, this now. Tune in next week, same bat time, same bat channel. And I would, and the show would go off and I would be, I'd be like, Robin, Robin needs to learn some Kung Fu or lift some weights. His old bony arms. Batman is over there handling his business. And Robin gets the jump on. They get the jump on Robin. And in saving Robin, Batman would get the jump on. But have you ever know if you ever saw the show, notice Batman never says to Robin, you know what? You need to lift some weights. You need to take some kung fu. Yeah. I'm tired of carrying your I'm tired of you know, every time we about to we get we're trying to put the Joker away and you gotta learn how to fight, son. Never happens. You know, and but, but what does Batman say? Reach over if you could reach around in my utility belt. Batman got a utility belt. He got a belt with packs on his stuff. Plenty of stuff. But Robin just got a black belt, a little leather black belt, not even good enough to beat nobody. Ain't nothing in that belt. Batman's got all the answers. Never did Batman ever turn on Robin for being Robin. Yeah, and I true. think in a relationship, sometimes one of you is Batman, sometimes one of you is Robin. And I think that, you know, you, you got to work together and, you know, I think it's insecure for a man to be shook by a woman's earning potential. Um, I think if you really know who you are, if you really have strength in yourself, if you really have been serious about your business, if you know you're walking according to your purpose, because purpose isn't, purpose isn't always about being rich. It's not always about making a whole lot of money. And there's all kinds of ways in which you can be intelligent about your money, through your saving, through your investments, through the property that you own. You know, you could be a teacher. You, you can be a guy and be a guidance counselor. You can be a guy and and be a counselor. If you're walking in your purpose, it's not going to stop a woman from respecting you if you're yeah. walking in your purpose. And if you feel confident about walking in your purpose, and just because your purpose doesn't attach to $150,000 a year doesn't mean that your purpose is not significant. And I think that we have a tendency right now to kind of view all wealth as what do I get from my job? 
but it's absolutely possible for your job to provide something consistently for you that may not necessarily build towards wealth. And if you're really going to have wealth, then you really need to understand the way that money works. I was reading an article that was talking about how even doctors aren't necessarily the rich. We automatically think doctors are rich just because they're making 350 or 450 or 550 or 650, but the people who are the richest people in America aren't doctors, okay? So just because you're making a serious salary doesn't even mean that that's gonna make you rich. And so it's absolutely possible to be someone who doesn't make as much money. You're walking according to your purpose. You know what you're doing, you know what you're about. And quite honestly, it's absolutely also equally possible for you to be an educated woman and not make as much money as an uneducated man, okay? Mm. Definitely blue collar guys, truck drivers and plumbers and electricians and cops and all kinds of people that make more money than educated women. So I think, you know, having this by play with each other and understanding the role that you play with each other, I think is important. I know that I am burdened and, and it's, it's upsetting to think that education can be something that can keep us from actually being together because we already have enough strikes against us yeah. to keep us from being together. And, I you know, agree. no, no shade against, you know, uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson and hypergamy and, and I get it, but I don't know if African-American women can necessarily really practice hypergamy. I don't know if that's something that really is realistic. Yeah. I don't know if they can necessarily only date across and up. I don't, I don't know if, I don't even know if that's a fair assessment to really have on it. Yeah. I don't even know if, if what they see as down is really even down, to be honest. Um, I think that there's a lot of pieces that are in it. And I recently have been, really have been challenging queens to really be serious about what they really need in a partner. And, um, and so, you know, my word to queens is, hey, listen, you, it, before you get a king, you better make sure you can really follow one. Because mm. if you get a real king for real, then he may want to swallow your kingdom up inside of his. There's a reason why Elizabeth didn't get married. And, I mean, you know, and I'm not talking about the Elizabeth that just died. I'm talking about Elizabeth the first. I'm talking about the golden age. I'm talking about the real Elizabeth. The reason why she didn't marry is because she knew that if she married with the way that the, the world was shaped back then, yeah. England would have been a part of Scotland or England would have been a part of, of Spain or England would have been a part of Germany. And she didn't want that. Um, and so if, if you find yourself a queen for real, and you really are making money, girl. You really got it going on. You got your MBA and you got your business and you're doing you this and you're doing you that. Before you step to this high value six-figure man, you might want to consider the fact that if he doesn't care about your money, he's not about how much you make. He doesn't really care all that much about your purpose. That doesn't necessarily mean that those are your only options. It, the, one of the best things for a, for a queen to do is to marry a soldier. To marry somebody strong, marry somebody knows, loves her, marry somebody that looks at her and sees past all her royal robes mm. <laughs> and says, yeah, you might be CEO, but you, well, you're going to be seeing something else tonight because <laughs> I don't care how, how bad you are, how smart you are. When I look at you, I'm thinking something all the, to be seen as an actual woman, to be seen with your with your vulnerability to for someone to see through the strength of your money and through the strength of your position and to notice you for a woman 
and not be threatened by your royalty. Mm. Hey, that's a powerful thing. And someone who's kind of like, oh yeah, listen, I don't have any, mom, I don't have no problems helping you and being there for you. And you want to send me off to fight a war? Sure, because I'm a knight, because I'm of noble blood, because I am prepared to serve and I, I'm down to help. There are tons of guys who are that way, who, uh, who are ready to be strong. And as long as you aren't threatened by their strength and as long as yeah. as long as they still get to be strong in some some instances in some areas you yeah. know i was reading a book that was uh kind of talking about relationships and in this particular culture it was the idea was that whoever has to be obeyed in public must obey in private you understand Oof, yeah no i understand so if you are senator Elizabeth Perkins, okay, let's, I'm making that name out, okay, and you're married to Joe Perkins, if in public, he got to kind of do what you ask, because you're the senator, okay, and he's just a good whatever, if in public, he's got to be like, yep, yep, what you need, baby, you got it, in private, it needs to switch, Wow. in private, you need to be okay with answering, so that if you can do that, then just as much as there's a question as to whether or not a dude can follow a strong woman, the question is, can a strong woman still make a sandwich? <laughs> you know what's crazy? You know what's really crazy is I think I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying this exact thing. Like it was a woman talking about how she likes to date uh, men who are financially below her the reason being is she feels like she doesn't have to like put up with this complex that men who ha who like make money they can make like 10 grand more than the girl but they have this power complex they're like well i'm the breadwinner so of course all my follow-up questions you answered like perfectly but like my thing is are there some like what would you tell a man who's going through a hard time adjusting to this new lifestyle like of kind of having to relinquish some of that quote-unquote power, if you will. Um, how, how would you counsel a man through that? I mean, I think that, you know, really, it, this is so funny that we're talking about it from a power perspective. Because to be power-tripping or ego-tripping is not even the best thing that you want. And to be really honest, it's not even what you really want. If you, if you ever talk to somebody who's really, really in power and really, really in charge... Um, they'll tell you, oh, like, okay, let's take me. I'm, I'm in charge a lot. I, I, I'm, I'm the senior pastor. It's my business. It's, it's my, I have my own stuff. I work for myself. And, you know, today, what happened? You sent me some stuff in the email today saying, well, I think this is what we should talk about beyond the pulpit today. To be quite honest, if you really are secure in yourself and really are secure as a leader, you don't always want to be charge it's not something that you always want to do and if you're looking at your woman or your children or the people that work for you is just there to serve you you don't have the right perspective actually it's there are times when you end up submitting to them at the end of the day and you end up kind of doing some of the things that they ask you to do and if you really have a good woman if you're a dude and you got a strong woman then that strength makes you strong together and you should be glad about that and not necessarily want to have to call all the shots about everything. That's exhausting. That's tiring. Yep. You know. And so if you have got to use how much money you make to throw that around and get people to answer to you, I don't know if you really are secure enough 
to really be in leadership. People who say, do you know how much I make? Those, those people are not secure. The people who say, I make more money than you, that's, what, why do you, what does that have to do with it? People that are walking around quoting how much money they have and quoting how much money they make, that's all a sign of their own insecurity. Yeah. Um, but I also think that, you know, when we're talking about relationships, ultimately, we somehow end up talking about relationships on this show quite a bit. But I do, I really do think it does come down to how well can you agree, you know, because agreement is where power really lies. And, you know, this whole discussion about who's going to lead in what particular way happens mostly when you don't agree. And although I could say, okay, well, when you don't agree, this person needs to make the decision. The truth of the matter is too much disagreement is dangerous. It's dangerous. And if somebody has to call the shots, if I have to call the shots and put my foot down as the man, not good. Not a good sign for the relationship, not a good sign for the family, not a good sign. If I have to come into the office, how many times have I ever come into the staff meeting, put my foot down and said, if this doesn't happen, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't happen a lot. Not a lot. Maybe once. And it's a, it's a dangerous thing. Yes. It's not a good sign. It's a sign that our staff is disjointed. Our staff is, if I have to come in and say, listen, if something's going on, this, this is what I want. If I have to get mad, that's not good. Very few times you've done that too. Very I mean, It few. hasn't been in a long time. So yeah. No, because it's a bad sign. Yeah. It's a sign that the, that the staff needs to change. Yeah. And in the same way, if you're in a situation in which one person has to lord it over the other person or one person has to make unilateral decisions or that the other person isn't in agreement with, this is a sign of bad stuff. Yeah. It really means that you're not that compatible. It really means you don't have that much of a... It means I don't know why y'all are together. It, it, it really is not a good sign. Hmm. And so even when we start to kind of talk about this, it's all one thing to talk about it hypothetically in terms of... What if somebody makes more money than the other person? But quite honestly, you ought to be in agreement with each other about what you're going to do, what you're going to spend. And these are all things that you probably should have discussed before you ever got together. And a part of the problem is we're just so quick to bone that, you know, we end up with people that, you know, and when the boning is good, listen. Yeah, it's even worse. The boning, what, what, is the, what does the Bible say? Love covers a multitude of faults. Boning covers a... My God, if love covers it, bone, good boning, help us, Lord. And so there's a lot of people who learn to bone before they learn to love. They, they, they got all into that, and the next thing you know, they're stuck with somebody or trying to figure out something or trying to find a way to make life work with a person that they're not compatible with. Yeah. Anybody that's Just about anybody that's got a baby's mama that they can't stand that's why. Anybody that's got a baby's daddy that they can't stand, that's why. Um, because it's because they 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 got their parts together, procreation happened, life happened, God sent somebody down the eternal chute now, and now they've got to deal with each other as a result, even though they clearly don't see the world in the same way. That's the same for people who are divorced. You just stop seeing the world in the same way. And at this point now, since divorce is an option, it's a very real reality. So, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, what we really want is we want people 
to do a better job of really having a good conversation with each other and trying to make sure if somebody said, cool, Jacket, thank you. And, you know, trying to make sure that people do see the world in the same way because the more you can agree, that's really where you have power. Agreement is the powerful place. And I know it's hard. It's hard to agree because men and women are different. It's hard to agree if you're from different cultures. It's hard to agree if you were raised differently. It's hard to agree if you're from different generations. It can be difficult. And that's where that love does have to, have to really be there to keep you there. But you want to do the best you can to communicate with each other and try to agree as best you can. And most of the time, you know, we, we think we have a communication problem, but we really have an agreement problem. And most couples have an agreement problem. And most, most companies have an agreement problem. And I know what it's like to have an agreement problem, and it's tough. And um, someone said I had a good upbringing. I, I did have a good upbringing, um, but I was, I mean, I'm the oldest of eight children. And so um, my parents had me very young. My mother had a lot of children. And as much as my parents raised me, but though the, I, you know, nothing, not to take anything away from my parents, but I had to, I had to raise myself a lot too. Um, and really found myself on my own, quite honestly, at 13 and 14. I still had a place to live, but everything I had, I had to work for it. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I, I can, you know, my mother and I have had conversations recently in which, quite honestly, by the time I was 13 or 14, I really didn't need my mother anymore. Mm. Um, and, and just, you know, really didn't need her ever again, to be quite honest. Um, and so I, I do think that, you know, the, there's, a, there's a part of it, too, with my generation, just the way we were raised. We were raised tough. Mm. We were raised to be more independent. We were raised to handle ourselves. Um, and I mean, I can remember being on public transportation when I was six. So, and that's just not anything that would ever happen for anybody these days. Y'all don't let your six-year-olds nowhere. But at seven years old, eight years old, I was on the bus with dimes going to children's choir rehearsal. So, you know, at the age of 12, I started going to the Roxbury Latin School, the oldest school in continuous existence in North America in West Roxbury. West Roxbury was a racist town in Massachusetts. And I went there every day on the T to go to school every day at 12. So, you know, I'm a whole different kind of monster just as a result. I was raised with no helmets. I was raised with no car seats. You know, my mother tells a story of me laying on the back of the window, going to sleep on the back of the window when I was a baby, and they flipped over and they picked a piece of glass. That just shows that these fancy car seats are just a bunch of junk. Don't nobody need all these car seats. I think I see every time I turn around, they're trying to sell you more car seats, and now they got a car seat for some. You got to stay in a car seat till you're what, 21? It's ridiculous. They're every expensive. Time I see, They're expensive. Every time I turn around, you can't even leave a baby with a car seat without a car seat these days. They're can't like, leave the hospital with your baby without a car seat. But I just wasn't raised that way. So, I mean, I was raised in a no helmet world. So, you know, I'm a different kind of person. So, before we get to the next question, elaborate. Like, what is it like? Can you, can you remember what it's like to be on the bus at 6 going across town in Boston. I mean, you're already in Boston. You know, I'm not a fan of Boston, but, you know, I'm not going to take this time to, to do that to you. Sure. What was it like uh, being so young and doing those types of things? I mean, I just think that, you know, you just had to be tough. You had to keep your eyes down. You know, you had to keep watch. You had to be kind of tough. You never knew what you were going to see. Of course, you know, 
the America wasn't as crazy as it is right now. You know, now you can just you can walk down the street and just see crazy people just sitting outside, just talking to themselves, having whole conversations. It wasn't necessarily that way. <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, unless somebody was drunk, crazy people were mostly off the streets. You know, <laughs> but but you know, I did have to, you know, get I get on the bus and I'd sit in the front, you know, and all the big kids and adults and teenagers all sitting in the back playing their boom boom boxes or whatever. And I just sit in the front. Sit a little bit closer to the bus driver, you know what I'm saying? And make sure I got my dimes in my pocket. I have to ask for a transfer. Back then, you know, the the if you get a transfer. You put a dime in there, you ask the bus driver for a, pay, a transfer, and they give you a little piece of paper, and half of it was for the train, and half of it was for another bus. So if you got a transfer, you can go anywhere you wanted to go, you know. And then I get off at Dudley Station, you know, for everybody in Boston. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be in Boston this week. I'm speaking to... Well, I'm the keynote speaker, opening the speaker for Jubilee's convention, uh, uh, Blue Hill Avenue. Anybody in Boston, I'll be there Wednesday night, and uh, and uh, I'm gonna drop a word on on the on the spot right there in Mattapan, right in the middle of the hood, and uh, and so that's Wednesday night. I think the service starts at seven o'clock. If you're in Boston, if you're in the Boston area, I'll be there uh, this Wednesday night speaking, and um, but but you know, yeah, it, it was it was crazy. You know, and then I had younger siblings that I had to because, you know, once I started going to, to children's choir rehearsal on the bus, then I had to take my sister with me to the choir rehearsal. So my little sister, Teresa, had to do, you know, she had to be with me and hold my hand. And then I could never take Matt on the bus because God only knows Matt tried to get off the bus and try to take over the whole city. But yeah, it was it was a different kind of world. It was a different kind of lifestyle, you know, and it's just kind of it's very interesting kind of where we are. Have y'all um, have y'all always had like crazy good Chinese food, or is that new? Th is that a new thing? I went up there a couple years ago, and I was just like, "Yeah, I got to take this Chinese food with me." The the key to having good Chinese food is you have to have Chinese people. <laughs> Part of the reason why we don't have good Chinese food here is because we don't have any Chinese people here. You can't get good Chinese food cooked by Mexican people. That's not how it works. They can make really good Mexican food. But if you want Chinese food, you have to have actual Chinese people making the Chinese food. So that's, that's the trick. Y'all got Chinese people up there. Yes. <laughs> it's a port city, and we actually have Chinese people. All right. Well, again, same with Italian food. I mean, it's like you can't you halfway get a good slice of pizza here because you need real Italians to make pizza. Okay. It's just not, you, you don't know how to stretch that dough. Papa John's is an Italian? Papa John's. <laughs> what are you talking about? Domino's. If you have to go to Domino's, the fact that I've been reduced to going to Domino's is just a sad thing. And one of the first things I'm going to do when I get to Boston is I'm going to get me a good bendy slice of pizza. But anyway, this, this beyond the pulpit is just kind of all over the place today. It is. You know, all right, but so it's all right. This is about to be a, a pretty heavy question I think that people are going to enjoy, but um, you guys were hitting on transgender the last two pulpits and the last two beyond the pulpits. And um, I kind of noticed that one of the thing, one of the main topics, especially with uh, Dwayne Wade and everything, is younger people are finding that um, they're having more like identity issues at a younger age. Like you've got bills going through Congress, state Congresses that are saying, yeah, uh, we're not going to allow anybody who's elementary to have any type of talk or conversation about 
you know, different genders. They're trying to get all that stuff out of here, which leads me to believe that it's happening. So, like, how do you have a conversation? I think I said exactly. Um, what's the best way to have that conversation with a younger person without, like, trying to just cut them off, but also not trying to give too much line, if you will? I think my most... You know, I think my most, my biggest issue with the whole transgender argument, beyond just the fact that you can't, you can't change interior pain with exterior change. That's just not how it works. Okay. If you've got stuff that's going on on the inside of you, whether it's confusion or feelings or, or whatever it may be, external change can't answer the internal problems. Getting a tattoo won't make you feel better. You'll just need to get another one. I need to get another one. I need to get another one. You ever see somebody that's just covered with them all on their neck and all behind their ears and all on their eyelids? And it's just because once you get one, you realize that a, a tattoo doesn't answer any pain on the inside. Not Neither does earrings, neither does money, neither does watches, neither does shoes. You've got to answer what's going on on the inside of you. Yeah. Um, and... You know, you talk to any honest psychologist, psychiatrist, anyone real that understands the issue of, of gender identity dysphoria, anyone that really understands it will readily tell you, beyond political pressure, will readily tell you that external change is not the answer to this issue. And most of the people who are committing suicide and dealing with big time issues and still dealing with their psychological issues are even still dealing with them at an even even greater rate post-operation stance. And so, again, this is all, listen, not, no hate meant, no shit, not trying to rob anybody of any of their freedoms or rights, right. but I think that we we have to take a time. And I'm another one that, that often sues for caution when it comes to stuff that's new. You know, it's like you, you might want to take a time to see what is the result going to be. I don't want to be the first person that takes a drug. I want to see, oh, wow, this has been around for a while. Yeah. The IUD has been around for a while. The pill has been around for a while. This is not something new. And so I think that we have yet, we have no idea what long-term deleterious effects will come as a result of messing around with your hormones and suppressing your testosterone or increase. We really don't know. It just hasn't been readily available enough and we're allowing people to take significant risks with their long-term health. And I think that that's just a bad thing. Okay, so that's number one. But beyond that, my real issue has been how much we are determined to drive this discussion to babies. Mm. Um, and I think if there's anyone that needs to be protected from too much sexual decision, it's children, okay? Until you reach the age of accountability, until puberty actually hits you, you really don't know anything about nothing, to be honest. If you're not even aware of being naked, then I don't even know how you're gonna be all that aware of whether or not you're male or female. And I'm sorry, but I think that, you know, it's much like anything. Like, have you seen a little kid with a cell phone? Have you seen a little kid 
It's amazing. It's just something about technology. It's almost like they gravitate toward it. You can buy a bunch of toys for your kid, but for some reason, they want the remote control. For all of you that have a baby that's trying to hold the remote control, I never let my two-year-old hold the remote control. I never let my three-year-old hold the remote control. It's not for children. I've been around people who let their three-year-old hold the remote control because they'll cry if they don't get the holder remote control, but if they cry in front of me for no reason, my kid is going to get in trouble for crying because you don't get to hold the remote. But my point is, is that they gravitate towards technology. It, it's something that was never here before. In the same way, it's like all of a sudden now we've got this rash of children, these rash of young girls who are determined to, you know, say, oh yeah, I'm a guy. Okay. And you can't help but acknowledge that it's just a bit too coincidental that in a moment in which we are talking about, you know, this is all the rage now. And now the highest number of wanting to be transgender, that highest number is teenage girls at this point. The group that is that has a tendency to have the most body imagery issues, girls that are trying to figure out who they are, they're being forced to think that they've gotta be a Kim Kardashian or, you know, and then with food and battling against weight and it's just, how do they stand out? How do they get to be unique? You know, um, oh, I know, I'll just be transgender. I, I just think that we cannot underestimate the, 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 the pressure of the culture and society and just the way that societal norms can pressure people. We are a communal species. We are easily susceptible to mania as a result of being around, whether it's everybody screaming for the Beatles or when I was growing up, everybody lost their mind over Michael Jackson. I'm talking about wearing jackets and gloves. It just was... It was a crazy thing. It was just Michael Jackson was. <laughs> I mean, if you saw Michael Jackson, and there would be girls, teenage girls, that would literally be weeping uncontrollably, okay? Over Michael Jackson, over the Beatles, over. And so I think your, your question was what do I say to a child who's four years old that says they're a girl, okay? I say to them, eat your best vegetables, go brush your teeth, and go to bed and stop talking crazy because you're four and you don't even know what a boy is. You don't even know what a girl is. You have no idea what's what. You have no idea what your uh, sexual genitalia is even for. It's not even online yet. It's not even operable. It's not even operable. Right now, you're just a little kid. You have way other things to be focused on talking about gender. It's, it's amazing. We won't let kids decide if they're going to school. We won't let kids decide if they're going to drink. We won't let kids decide. They got to show an ID to get cigarettes. They got to show an ID. So you can't get cigarettes unless you're a certain age because we are aware of the deleterious effects of tobacco and nicotine on your body. And we want you to be an adult to make that decision. Okay. We know this, 
For a long time, the argument from the tobacco companies was, oh, there was nothing wrong with tobacco. Oh, it's good for you. It relaxes you, okay? Then once that lie was told and the whistleblowers came out, now they've decided, no, you can't get a pack of cigarettes unless you're a certain age. It's on the level. No, we're not going to sell you alcohol. You know how many of us trying to get fake IDs so we could try to buy beer for parties when we was growing up, you and your white boyfriends? Of course, that's what y'all try to do. Why? Because they're trying not to sell you alcohol before a certain age because they want you to be mature enough to make the decision as to whether or not you're going to drink or not. So how can you, how do you have to be this mature to make to decide if you're going to smoke? You have to be mature to decide if you're going to drink, but you don't have to be mature to decide if you're a boy. You don't have to be mature to decide if you're a girl. That's a very good point. So at six years old, you start feeling girly. Look, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I resent the alcohol comment. Well, I'm just. <laughs> I mean, I'm still stuck on that. You think I just drank alcohol? I of just, course. I just ran up to people on the street and was like, "Buy me some <laughs> liquor." I, I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying that you know, that's kidding. the thing to me that's really sad that we're forcing these concepts yeah. on kindergartners. We don't teach kindergartners the birds and the bees. We, I didn't have sex ed until fifth grade. And really, eighth grade, really. I never had it. In, See? At NRCA. It was, at, it was eighth grade by the time we really were talking about it. Before they really, because they were trying to let you be a kid. And trying to let you just, just, I mean, even the whole thing. Do you know how long I didn't like girls? When I was a little, little boys don't like girls. Little girls, girls are annoying. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, that's true. You don't like them. Girls like you before you like them. I can remember in the fourth grade, in the fifth grade, them singing songs. We love you, Conrad. Oh, yes, we do. We love you, Conrad. It will be true. It's based on some movie that came out. When you're not near us, we're blue. And one of the things that they used to do is they would, we'd be on the playground at recess, and the girls would be singing that about your name. We love you, Andy. I guess we do. You be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you be running away. No. I hate you. You almost fight a girl. You're my boyfriend. No, I'm not. Oh, my gosh. That, yeah. If every boy who said, I don't like girls. Okay. You know how normal that feeling is to not like girls? And you're in the third grade and the fourth grade, and there's girls that are taller than you and faster than you and strong. When you're in the, in the thir a third grade girl will whoop your face. A, a fourth grade girl will whoop your tail. That is true. You want to talk about being on the bus. The girls who was the loudest, the people that was loudest on the bus was the girls. I couldn't stand them girls sitting in the back of the bus cracking on me because how poor my clothes were. <laughs> <laughs> But they, but all that cracking stopped at sixth grade, when this suaveness came out. All of a sudden, all, people that was cracking on you now is starting to like you, and I, and I'm sitting there like, oh, so now I'm all that, huh? Three years ago, my pants was too tight. Right. <laughs> exactly. For me, it was the husky jeans. <laughs> okay. Say it. So all I'm saying is, is that. What are we talking about? We're talking about little kids. Okay? Do you know what I wanted to do when I was when I when I was a little kid? My my the job I wanted, 
back when I was a kid, it was back when the gas station attendant would fill your gas up for you. You didn't, you didn't do it yourself. My dad would pull up to the gas station and he would say, fill it up regular. Because that was when it was regular gas and, un, and unleaded. All the gas wasn't unleaded yet. So it was regular gas and unleaded gas. He'd pull up and say, fill it up, fill it up regular. And the guy would stick the thing in there and fill it up regular. And then this guy would clean my dad's windows with, you know, because they did all this, check your tires, they checked your oil, you know, full service gas stations back then. Every time you got gas? Every time. What a world. What a world. <laughs> Outrageous. And what would happen is the guy had a squeegee, right? And he would, he would, he'd soap up my dad's window and he would, he would whack and the little splatter would go on the ground. And I'd be sitting there watching him like whack. Oh, whack. Like, this dude's amazing. <laughs> he just did it like Zorro. Like, he had a way of doing it. And I just thought, dang, this, this is the job. And then when my dad would pay him, he, my dad would go to pay him, and he'd pull this wad of money out. And I'd be like, oh, and he's paid. <laughs> I just knew, you know, yeah, man, I, this is what I'm going to do. So my dad overheard me. What are you talking about? And I'm like, that's what I want to be. I want to I want to work at the gas station. You see all this money? And my dad said, that ain't his money. <laughs> that's the gas station's money. Get in the car. <laughs> Stop talking crazy. Shut up. I'm not going to lie. That was probably one of the best stories I've ever Listen, when I, I went to an all-white school, okay, because I was a part of desegregation, okay? Because y'all have to realize the Civil Rights Act was passed into law a couple years before I was born. I was born in 68, okay? So at 74, I'm one of the first black kids ever to go to a white school. All my friends are white, okay? And probably around fourth grade, I was doing this thing where I was going, What is that? See, I had, a, I had a, one of my best friends, his name was Tony Vaccarino. And Tony Vaccarino had this little bang that would hang down, and he would blow wind up to blow his bang out of his face. I already know where this is going. So in the fourth grade, all of a sudden, I'm just thinking Tony Vaccarino's just, he's plays kickball, he's so cool, he's my friend, and I'm just like, oh my God, Tony Vaccarino. And so now I'm starting to blow wind up like Tony Vaccarino, and my dad catches me and he's like, what is, what is that? What is that? You ain't got no hair coming down to blow out your face, Negro. What if I said to him, well, I, I yeah, but I identify as white. I would, do you know what kind of beating I would have got if I had said that? There was a certain amount of foolishness that just wasn't, just wasn't tolerated. The craziest part about the story is that I had a story similar to this, but where I would get like S-curl relaxer because I wanted my hair to look like my white friend's see, hair. See, see? So I would like try to relax my hair. I was like burning my scalp. I was killing myself, man. All, all for the, the happiness of the white man. Listen, I had, a, I had a friend who was black, who was a really good friend. He was a couple years older than me. Probably one of the greatest athletes I'd ever been around. His name was Rory or something like that. But he had he talked with a lisp. He had a lisp. And I just thought he was so cool that I was I was starting to do it. And my dad said, What are you doing? And I was like, Yes. 
He was so <laughs> mad at me. He's like, if you don't put that tongue back in your mouth. Yeah, I don't know why. Because I really feel like you did go, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, boy. I said, yes. Get over here. Oh, what are you God. doing? Oh, God. This is how I talk. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's, it's just funny seeing you and your dad in this conversation. All right. I mean, it's comical, but we understand the point, right? Yes, we get the point. I was in the third grade. Hey, let everyone, listen. Expl ex understand something, okay? I know you think your kid is special, but they're not, okay? Your third year. Your third, your, your third grader is an idiot. Your second grader is a fool. Okay, let alone somebody four. If I hear somebody else tell me their three-year-old is a genius, I'm gonna throw up in my shoes. Stop it. Okay, your three-year-old is not special. Give me a break. Stop it. Oh, well, they're special. No, they're not. Okay. I'm, you know, I listen. I tested into the schools, all Harvard. All right, praise God for it. But in the third grade, I was not smart. I, I was smart for a third grader, but I was still doing dumb stuff. So for us to allow somebody who's in the third grade to make a decision about their sexual identity is nuts. It's insane. For you to take hormones, suppressing your masculinity, you don't even know what that thing can do yet. Okay? You haven't even found out, young man, how are you going to take something to suppress it when you don't know what it can do? It's craziness. It's insanity. And for teenage girls to decide they want to be boys, it's nothing. There's nothing more ridiculous than that. You will never be a boy. I don't want to calm down. I don't want to get canceled. But you will never be a boy, ever. There's nothing you can ever do to be a boy. You can take all the hormones you want. You'll never be a boy. And you can take all the hormones you want. You'll never be a girl. Okay. Do it all you want. You'll never have a uterus. You'll never push a baby out. You'll never have a cycle. You'll, you'll never, you just, you will never really be a real girl. So, you know, but we're, we're trying to teach kindergartners about a third gender that just doesn't exist. And it's just sad, you know, and, you know, if there's ever a sign of just the, the foolishness of man, it is this argument and this discussion. It's just a sad thing. And, um... That's all I have to say about that. All right, sounds good. <clears throat> well, let's move. Uh, let's move on. I want to get into something not as heavy, but still, like I think that this is a problem that kind of we just see over and over again, and people probably watching understand this. Boston Celtics head coach gets suspended for a year for having a consensual, obviously he's engaged to Nia Long, which that is a whole nother conversation that we have to discuss. But he gets in, he's in a consensual relationship with uh, uh, the other. And why is it that there's such a discrepancy between what black people do and white people do? 
in sports. Like black people get in trouble for such dumb stuff. Jameis Winston, thirty dollars crab legs. Right. Uh, you got the the coach. I mean, you can go down the list of things. You got Brett Favre investing five million dollars. You got, you know, I'm sure Tom Brady has his skeletons in the closet. Everybody's got their skeletons in the closet. And we just see that the media is constantly like making the black person the issue. What are your thoughts on this? And then I have a follow-up question once you kind of give your initial thoughts. Well, I mean, I think that when we can talk about this all we want, you know, it's it's kind of what we talked about last week when we talked about, you know, the difference between being ruled by a concept or that concept serving you. Okay. So when I was talking to my daughter and when I, and I talked to my daughters and I'm saying, yeah, I mean, I, I get it that, uh, that women don't want to be ruled by the idea that food is important to a guy. They don't want to be ruled by that. They don't want to just be seen as somebody that cooks. Okay. They don't want to see, they don't want that. I got you. You don't, it's a poor master, but it's still a good servant. I think in the same way, I think as African-Americans, particularly as African-American males, this information is a poor, it's a poor master, but it should be a good servant. And that we do have to understand we can complain about this, we can cry about it, we can fuss about it. And I think we should acknowledge it until it causes us to come together and really unite together in power in our own culture to, to get us to understand just the, un, the inequities and the injustice that's unleashed against us as African-Americans and as African-American men. Yeah. Um, we have to realize it, and then as a result of that, act accordingly. Yeah. And I know it's hard because it's almost like if you're an African-American, you have to be five times better. Yeah. Or five times more righteous or five times cleaner. We can sit here and go down the list all we want. We can talk about everybody that they pulled down, whoever it is that we want to talk about, Cosby, whoever, Michael Vick, whoever we want to talk about. Yeah. Michael Vick got to go to jail over dog fighting. It's just, you know, I, we could go on and on and on about it. I just think that. You know, what I'm trying to get my sons to, to understand, and it's sad that I had a conversation with my sons that my father had with me. And I sat my sons down and said, okay, let's talk about what happens when you get pulled over by the police. Um, because we are still at a point 30 years later in which my sons at 16 and 17 have to get a conversation that I got at 16, 17. Um, but it's the truth. It's the situation. It's the reality. And, you know, I think we can go on and on about it. But, you know, you got to realize you're black. And one of the worst things that can ever happen to you as a man, as a black man, is to forget that. And, you know, the world and society and culture and all of it can hype you and make you forget it. But at some point they will remind you of it. Mm. Um, and so tough situation. Yeah. I mean, just to go off what you said, like my dad was always like, you have to be like what you told your, your sons, like twice as good, five times as good. And I never really, 
<clears throat> looked at it from the perspective of like, oh, that's a disadvantage for me. Like, that's why I am as smart as I am. That's why I'm as educated as I am, because the fact of the matter is I should want to be five times better than the next person anyway. I mean, I feel like we look, sometimes I think black people look at it from the, the viewpoint that it's a disadvantage. Oh, we have to be. But I'm like, yeah, I don't want anybody next to me to be smarter than me. I just don't. So that goes for white people. That goes for anybody. So I think, and my dad explained it to me like that. He's like, yeah, he told me the realities of it, but he also told me the fact. He's like, yeah, but why would you want anybody to be smarter than you? Why would you ever want to walk around? So right. it's it's a disad, it's, it's a disadvantage for sure. But I think it's also about perspective. At least that's how I combated it. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to we have to face the reality that the worlds are not the same. We may be in the same spaces, but our worlds are very different. Yeah. The African-American world and the white American world are very different. And one of the main reasons why we, we really only, we experience this in America because we walk through spaces. And we have to realize in America and in you know other Western civiliza civilizations, um, this is a problem that they don't really have in other parts of the world. Because uh, everybody in China is Chinese. Everybody in Korea is Korean. Everybody in Russia just about is Russian. And so, you know, for America, it's like, well, we have African Americans and white Americans and Latin Americans, and we're all kind of sharing the same space. And we want to act like we're all the same, but we're not. Our worlds are very different. Um, so this happens for me quite a bit as a pastor. Uh, people are trying to, you know, or, or as a business owner, people are trying to compare me to other white people who are doing the same thing. And I'm just like, there, there's no comparison. You can't compare me to anybody else, especially someone who's, you can't compare me to anybody white. They're, they're, the comparisons aren't even close to equal. I only make up 12% of the population um, in the country. 12% of the population is African-American. So, you know, but it's what we wanna do, especially as we continue to advance as a society and technology, and especially each generation expects more and more equality and more and more diversity. Um, and so, you know, they, they just wanna, they wanna compare me to Furtick or compare me to J.D. Greer or compare me to, I don't know, Judah Smith or someone white. And I'm kinda like, yeah, you, you can't compare me to somebody. It's just, the, the worlds are so totally different. It's like comparing New Edition to New Kids on the Block. There's just there's no comparison um, because there's just that many more white people in Texas. So it's like, oh, well, Joel Osteen has the biggest church in America. Well, I mean, sure, but I mean, he's white man living in Houston. So there's a lot. It, I, it's, we have to look at it percentages wise, and 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 so I think in that exact same way, I'm only saying that to say that the sooner African Americans understand that they don't live in the same world that white people live in, mm -hmm. the sooner and the better off we will be in understanding what is the way forward. If we're constantly living in a fantasy world about the reality of our situation, then we will always be easily duped. Because if you're already confused and already misinformed and you're already high, then it's gonna be even easier to trick you. The sooner you come to the reality of your situation and the sooner African it's it's amazing how it, it takes somebody getting choked out in the street for us to realize, yeah, we're we're still not necessarily equal. Yeah. 
because we don't we're not looking at the stats we're not reading we're not looking at what's real what's really happened to the family what really happens in the in the in the justice system we don't really really look at it that strongly um but the reality is that our worlds are not the same and um and it's hard especially for me i mean as even for me to say this there's a part of me that's like i don't want to go too far with it because this is america and they're there are people that could be watching us right now who aren't necessarily African-American. Yeah. Um, and I don't want them to be like, oh, time for me to get off the, the call. But I do think you have to allow for African-Americans to address African-American problems. People that come to, to World Overcomers, it's like that. I'm going to address some African-American problems because 90% of the people, 95% of the people in the room are African-American. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that? Why do I have one of the fastest growing churches in America? Why did I have the fastest growing church in North Carolina? And it was 99% African-American. What do I, why is that? So I think it's because white people still don't really follow black leadership. I have the most watched religious program in the triangle. I have one of the most watched religious programs in the state of North Carolina. Can I tell you how often a white person walks up to me and says, oh my God, Pastor Andy. So, you know, will white people listen to a black preacher? Do you know? Do you know how many times I've said T.D. Jinx's name to a white person and they didn't know who I was talking about? So <laughs> what I'm saying is that it's we, we have to realize that African-Americans live in a different world. Um, and I know we want to act like we live in the same world as white people. But we do and we don't. Yeah. And the sooner we come to that understanding, the better. A lot of black people think that's infringing on their like freedom. Like they feel like they can't live free like as their white counterparts. We all have the same rights, blah blah blah. blah. What do you say to that? Like how do you deal with somebody who thinks of that as like infringing on their freedom? I mean, I just think we still have a ways to go. I mean, just because we have rights or freedoms doesn't necessarily mean that that's the connotation of it. Yeah. There's the denotation and there's the connotation. And, you know, there was the laws that we could vote were passed long before we were actually able to vote. Um, and so I, I think that still we have to realize that real freedom comes as a result of economic empowerment. And that's where we have a tendency to lose out. We are more excited about political empowerment than we are economic and empowerment. And part of the reason why that is is because we like to spend our money. Oh, we're not going to get into that one because yeah, let's not. Get I have a uh, yeah. So okay, let's wrap this uh, this episode up. Uh, we've got this new segment called Infinity Thoughts. All right. So um, when it comes to Infinity Thoughts, basically it's a philosophical question that you know usually philosophical questions are open ended. I'm going to challenge you to answer them as simply as you possibly can. Okay, you got. It. So the first one is, or not first one. The only one we have today is, do thoughts have a pattern? I mean, I think so. I mean, I think that we have to realize that our culture significantly impacts our thoughts. You know, it's something I've said before that the atmosphere creates a climate and the climate creates survival behaviors mm -hmm. as a result of that climate. And then those survival behaviors lend into culture 
and then culture affects family and family affects people. So if you're raised in Alaska, as a result of the atmosphere, the climate, there's things you have to do to survive. Those survival instincts and survival become a part of your culture. They become a part of the practice of what you do. And the next thing you know, now your family, as a result of the tribe coming together to survive. You know, I watched the show alone and it's like, yeah, they send people off to these remote places where there's no humans. Part of the reason why there's no humans there is because no humans can survive there, let alone survive there alone. Okay, the place is remote and rural. It's remote because it's a place that doesn't have enough water and doesn't have enough food and doesn't have enough. People end up tapping out because they're starving. That's why there's no humans living there. And certainly no humans living there by themselves. So if you've been raised in Russian culture, if you've been raised in Chinese culture, if you've been raised in Japanese culture, if you've been raised in Ghanaian culture, okay, then your, your appetites are Ghanaian. Your perspective is Ghanaian. Your thoughts are Ghanaian. What is even right and wrong becomes Ghanaian. And one of the challenges of right and wrong is that we have a tendency to want to judge right and wrong based on one group's perspective of right or wrong or one culture's perspective of right of right or wrong because we want that culture wants to rule all cultures mm. um and so then they want to say what their rule is for everyone like this i was reading this article that was talking about the difference between american debt and african debt and the, the thing about american debt is american debt is in american dollars so we can print on however much money we want to deal with our debt because it's our debt in our dollars, whereas Africa has got to pay us in our dollars. And so in the same way, we want Africa to be held to our standard of behavior. We want Russia to be held to our standard of behavior. So we're praying for the Ukraine because we, because there's a perspective we have about Russia and Ukraine and Putin, and we're going to hold them to our perspective of right or wrong even though they're Russian. And even though if I apply it to us, I think there are patterns that are similar. But I think that to answer the question, I do think that thoughts are shaped by culture. I think thoughts are shaped by how you were raised. I think thoughts are shaped by what your background is. Um, one of the reasons why I want to do this show and have more just open, honest conversations is because of how many people that I've seen have been so negatively affected by their strict Christian upbringing. It causes all kinds of stress and all kinds of particular issues because if you were taught a certain amount of that stuff, it's on the inside of you. You can't escape it. There's anxiety that's, that's in there. Um, I think it's one of the things that's really interesting about, you know, when we take our Western perspective and aim it at something that was historic or different. So let's 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 take for example the idea of women marrying to secure their family's future. Like we want to look at that from our generational perspective today and say, "Oh my god, these poor girls." And I'm not saying, "Oh my god, these poor girls didn't end up with people that sucked." Yeah. But I also think that it's also equally possible that if you've been raised to be this way, if this is what your thought has been, if you thought that this was the responsibility that you had to your family, that this was something that you were supposed to do, that it was probably a bit more normal to you than it is to us today.
That's fair. You know, so I think the thoughts are shaped. I think thoughts are limited, and I don't think most people think they're, they're thinking free, and I don't think they're thinking free. And I think too much free thinking can even lead to not thinking. Too much free thinking can lead to a massive confusion. Part of the reason why folks are, you know, why people are so lost trying to find their identity is because they're just so free to think whatever they want to think. And the problem with that is without some kind of limitations, without some kind of guidelines, your thoughts can go everywhere. John and I were talking about how I started doing a theme for the year in the church. Part of the reason why I did a theme for the year at the church is because church, it's just, it's easy for church to just become monotonous. Just, you just do it and you're just in the rut of just doing it. And I felt like a new theme was a way to reintroduce the church every year, get people to kind of start afresh at the new year. Also because it reins me in so that if I'm, you know, if, if I'm, say, yeah, the theme is victory, then I'm going to approach the scriptures from a victory perspective, which helps me because without any guideline, it can be very difficult to know what to communicate. Yeah, The Bible's like a piano. In the same way, without any guidelines, we're trying to rip all guidelines off. We're trying to tear apart every gender out guideline. We're trying to take, we're trying to get rid of all sexual guidelines. We just, we want to, we want somebody to be birthed into this world, come out of the 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 birth canal screaming okay yelling hollering they're still learning to walk they're still learning to talk they're still learning to chew they're still learning how to grab and stuff we are looking at rudimentary life forms and we want to give them the power four years in to make lifelong decisions it's insanity we want to take off all guidelines from them we don't want this little creature to not have any guidelines. Now we're taking gender guidelines away from someone five. Someone that's been on the planet for five years now is getting ready to lose one of the most polarizing guidelines that can help them to really understand who they are. And that is you're a boy, you're a girl. We want to take that away and we want to act like it's going to bring more freedom, but really it's going to bring more confusion. Mm. It's already hard enough for people to find themselves without finding themselves apart from any gender guideline. And we're doing it because we've decided to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We've decided that gender norms and gender guidelines are too restrictive and because gender guidelines have been used to subjugate individual people, that's like throwing away Christianity because Christianity was hurt, used to hurt people. Which I, if you want to sit here and have an argument with me about the, about the amount of hurt that was done in the name of Christ, I can't even argue with you. But the, what slave masters did, what, what folks did in the name of the Bible, if we're going to throw Christianity out, as a result of evil people, then we're going to throw it out. In the same way, if we're going to get rid of masculinity because of the behavior of men in their masculinity, if we're going to decide that masculine behavior must be done away with, so let's get rid of masculinity. Let's get rid of gender guidelines altogether. We're doing that because of 
the negative that's been done in the name of masculinity, not necessarily just because gender norms or gender guidelines are wrong. Wow. Because certain men use their masculinity, their strength, their aggression to subjugate women. We now are going to say, right, so all masculinity is bad because these crazy dudes over here used it to subjugate women. So we're going to look at the rapists and we're going to get rid of all masculinity based on the rapists. We're going to get rid of all masculinity based on the, the Me Too movement speaks out. And now we're like, see that masculinity? So now we're going to attack all masculinity because of the dudes who did sexual harassment on their jobs. And we're going to take away all masculinity because there are women that are enslaved, women that are being subjugated, women that are sex slaves right now, women that are being beaten, women that are being... I totally get it. But now what we've decided to do is right. Exactly. So let's take out our eraser and let's erase all gender norms. Let's get rid of all cultural norms. Let's get rid of all gender roles. And let's let everybody start at six with a blank slate. Understand that is insane. It is going to be impossible for a person to find their way if they don't know where they're going. We live in the day of the GPS. I grew up in a time where there was no GPS. You had to stop and go in a gas station and ask somebody how to get someplace. And then they came out and they told you the way to go. And sometimes it didn't match with the directions that the person gave you to tell you how to get to their house. Yeah. Whereas, so now what we want everybody to do is we want everybody to get to 21 without understanding what 21 even looks like. What is this dude at 21? I'm sorry, but that's not something I'm doing. I'm having serious, hard conversations with my son about what it means to be a 21-year-old man. And just because Dwayne Wade's doing it don't mean that it's something you should do. Who's Dwayne Wade? We wouldn't even be talking about him if he wasn't 6'4 and fast and could jump. So it's insane for us to let basketball players dictate for us how we should behave in society. Good for you, Dwayne Wade. That's your decision. But for you to now be some kind of role model to the world is insanity. He's a basketball player. But this is us. This is African-Americans. Okay? We're going to listen to LeBron more than we're going to listen to Harvard professors. Because we dumb like this. At the end of the day, it's like what Dwayne Wade decides to let his son do is his business. Okay? He can't be the role model. He's not smart enough. He's not read enough. He's not educated enough to now dictate what African-American culture does. It's insanity. And if there's anything African-American culture doesn't need is less guidelines. We already barely have any kind of rites of passage at all. Almost every other culture has some kind of rites of passage. Almost every other culture has something that they say that this makes you an adult, whether it's your bar mitzvah or your confirmation, almost everybody else. Us, we are already too fast in us. We already growing up way too quick. 
The last thing black people need is to be six deciding the rest of their lives. It's insane. And I'm so glad that nobody made me work at a gas station because I thought it was cool to do when I was seven. It's the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, that was a that was a perspective uh, I've never heard. That was good. I'm I have let's just end it there. Yeah, yeah. I have, I, See, I, when you said Infinity Man, I thought you was talking about you know Infinity Wars. You know, because when I was when I was you know when I was away, I I found found one of my favorite Marvel characters. In case you didn't see him, he's back here in the background. Just just looking out for all of us. There's nobody like Thanos, okay? That's the guy, right? And then one of the greatest Marvel characters in the history of Marveldom. Yeah. It's Thanos. He's one of my favorite guys. I don't know. I don't like Thanos. What, why don't you like Thanos? I don't know. I just thought he was a bad guy. I mean, what you talking about? The man literally snapped his fingers and erased half of humanity. I mean... He's got some endearing qualities, I guess. He didn't do it just because he wanted to do it. He did it to save. Oh, here we go. He did it to here. try to save the world. Here. Somebody has to be able to make the hard decisions. Okay? Listen, I hear you. So then Tony Stark gets the glove, snaps his fingers, dies, and now all the problems that they had pre-Thanos are back. Listen, I'm not. They're dealing with global. Even right now, we are dealing with global crisis. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of problems that can be fixed by erasing half of humanity. I get that. I, I'm not saying that it was good to erase half of humanity. I'm. Not, I, I guess the thing I like about Thanos is I like the fact that he was a villain driven by a purpose. That's fair. There are a lot of villains that just be out here trying to do bad things. Just, just chaotic. Because... <laughs> that is true. The Joker is just ridiculous. Okay, yeah. just creating chaos for chaos' sake. That is true. I'll get, okay. I'll give him that. Okay, that I'll wasn't Thanos. Ultron was just mad. Well, no, Ultron was terrible. Okay, and he's trying to just wreck, just to wreck. What about Dark Side? Do Let's not go to DC, please. All I'm saying is that it's like. You know, you got, got Loki just wants to rule. Oh, they fought Loki because he just has come because he just wants to be king and he wants everybody to... What kind of weak villain is that? Thanos doesn't care about everybody bowing down. He doesn't care about ego. He doesn't care about being king. He's evil. <laughs> I don't... I don't... I don't argue that point. He's a bad guy, but he's a complex bad guy. That's what I liked about him. And and good movies don't work without a complex bad guy. Like Senator Palpatine. Like Senator Palpatine. Or even more, Anakin. There, the, the, the truth of the matter is, there is no Star Wars without Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. The course. thing that made 4, 5, and 6 good was Darth Vader. Vader is what made it good. 1, 2, and 3 is just them telling the story of Vader. That's true. And then the last three is them trying to find... A villain. I feel like they started out okay. Like, seven was okay. All right, we won't get into it. Seven, eight, and nine. I mean, at one point, they show a picture. They show a mask. They show just a little burnt-up head 
of Vader. That's how much they missed Vader. That's how much they missed the polarizing figure that is the bad guy. There is no good and evil struggle without a bad guy that is has some complexity to him. Some purpose. Some purpose. Some power. Some strength. That's what you want. It's what made the original Star Wars movie so good. And what all the other movies were missing was Vader. The closest they ever came to was Darth Maul. And he just got killed too quick. Sliced in half, Jack. Okay. <laughs> Even Darth Vader got killed by... No one took his life. He laid it down. That's right. That's true. Well, this has been great. I'm going to close this out. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Beyond the Pulpit. And, you know, it, it was pretty good, I suppose. You know, episode five. Here with my man, Dr. Morgan Edwards. And, and you know, we answered some good questions. And uh, we'll be back here next. Monday, we'll be back next Monday. Next Monday, Monday. we'll be back here and uh, we'll be talking about more stuff. And uh, thanks for being with us tonight. Beyond the Pulpit. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Pulpit with Andy Thompson. If you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to follow Andy Thompson on all social media platforms. If you would like to support this podcast, head over to www.pastorandy.com podcast for more information on how to donate and stay connected with Andy Thompson.